are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Cyrus Satsas of Locked On Warriors as Clay Thompson makes his much-anticipated return after more than two years away from the floor to the Warriors lineup. Then... We chat with Nick Angstad of Locked On Mavericks as Luka Doncic also making a return to the Mavericks lineup and Dirk Nowitzki sees his number 41 raised to the rafters of American Airlines Arena. And then lastly, we chat with Ryland Stiles of Locked On Thunder as Josh Giddy becomes the youngest player in NBA history to record a triple-double. Just how good has Josh Giddy been this season in his rookie campaign? As always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every every day joining us now is cyrus sasas of locked on warriors cyrus what a day clay day indeed after more than two years away from the game 941 days clay thompson has made his return his much anticipated return to the floor for the golden state warriors how good was it just to see him back out there on the floor with the rest of the guys i swear to you like seeing him on the court made me feel like for the first time in a long time things are just normal it was a, it was i mean just just the fact that like the last time we saw him i mean anthony davis was still with the pelicans um you know obviously there was no such thing as a pandemic uh you know so so when i when i saw him on the court i mean i it just things felt right i, I you know it's it's hard to really put into words or to articulate just the the the, the positive feelings that came with seeing him and I just love the fact that for at least, you know, for one night, NBA Twitter and the whole NBA community and the fandom just all seem to come together. I mean, Clay is that popular of a figure, um, and, and we were just, and I'm, I personally was just ecstatic. I, I don't know about you, but just seeing him back out there just made me feel like things were right in the world, <laughs> even if just look, for look. a moment. Clay Thompson has caused the Houston Rockets a lot of problems over the years. But in this moment, I was just as an as a fan of the NBA and as a fan of basketball, I, w- I was happy to see him back out there to have a chance to play the game that he has worked so hard his entire career for. Absolutely. So, yes, as a fan of the game, I was ecstatic to see him out there as the host of Locked on Rockets. I was not. I was just like, oh, man, it's Clay. Like he, he, he's back to cause, you know, night terrors for me again. No. Anyways, I mean, the Rockets aren't competitive, so it's OK. But um for now, for now, your team will be soon. Sooner than later, I think they will be. But anyways, yeah, go ahead, sir. Well, <clears> just you know, what was what was the overall fan reception like? I'm sure, many, you know, yourself and many others. What was the what was the atmosphere like? You know, at, at Oracle. Um, I yeah, I didn't go there tonight. My my locked on Warriors uh, uh, a partner in crime, uh, Dieter Kernbach, is there, uh, and I'm going to be hosting a, a live version of Locked On Warriors in just moments. Actually, um, the 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 feedback was tremendous. Obviously, you read the stories about ticket sales being like astronomically higher than they normally are. I mean, Chase Center, the home of the Warriors, um, already sells the most expensive tickets in the NBA. And so just to put it in perspective of just how crazy the interest was, was people were forking up thousands of dollars for these tickets. Um, the hype was was overwhelming pregame. Uh, all the videos that I was looking at uh, in the warm-up scenes, all the people I was talking to in the arena, they were just telling me it was loud. I mean, hours before uh, everything started, you saw all the players um, coming to the arena with Clay Thompson jerseys. 
Um, and then all the players, when they came out for the pregame shoot-around, were wearing Clay Thompson jerseys again. Uh, so they were in unison, and it was really symbolic of the of the probably the most positive attribute and variable of this Warriors team, which is their chemistry. I mean, this is a team that is unified, um, that plays well together, that likes each other. It's not easy to pull that off for an NBA team. Um, and so, the, so yeah, so in terms of just the excitement, uh, it was real. Um, it, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, I, I really, it's hard to put into words again. And I know for a, a podcast, for a video, this is the worst position to put yourself in is, is being stuck on finding the right words for a moment like this, but it was just tremendous. I mean, the, the, it was, it was palpable in terms of just the arena being just overwhelmingly loud and excited. Um, and then you saw the results. I think Clay far exceeded what any of our expectations were. Yeah, so he finished the night with 17 points on, on 7 of 18 shooting, uh, 3 of 8 from behind the three-point line. Overall, just how did he – Did he? And I will say I, I appreciate the uh, slight correction without calling me out. I'm so used to calling it Oracle, you know, and so that kind of threw me off a little <laughs> okay, bit. I, okay. Just the other day, I, ca I called – I, I said Staples instead of, you know, Crypto Arena. And so, <laughs> I, you know, you get so accustomed to calling an arena a certain name for so long, it really threw me off. But, um, you know, just how – did he look comfortable out there? Did it feel were, were there ever moments of like hesitation where you thought, okay, maybe he's he's still not one hundred percent all the way back quite just yet? What did he look like on the actual floor? Well, that was the craziest part. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the game live, and and I know it was broadcast on NBA TV, but not a, uh, and that's a whole other discussion in terms of the availability of NBA TV for a lot of people because it's not on Hulu, it's not on Spectrum. Um, so I don't know how many people actually watch the game without going, you know, and all under some random illegal stream online, which which is how a lot of people watch games. Um, what surprised me the most, I was expecting a more tentative Clay Thompson. And his first basket uh, was a wild layup that went in where he fully attacked very aggressively. And then he literally, like his second or third uh, field goal was a, a full-on slam dunk over the opposition. I mean, he just went up there. He did not resemble a man who in the last two and a half years had a torn ACL and then a torn Achilles. He was up in the air slamming it. Um, I can't remember who was defending it. It was someone that was bigger, but... Uh, so the moment I saw that, I was like, wow, okay, he's ready to go. Um, he missed his first few three-point shots before they started falling in. So I think there's a little rust there. Um, defensively, he was sound. He wasn't getting beat. Um, he looked, and this is as crazy as this might sound, and I'm not trying to uh, uh, you know, bring my fandom into this at all. I'm trying to be as objective as I could be. He looked like the old Clay. I mean, I, I would love to hear your perspective on this before I start my show. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I mean, once his conditioning is is down, he looked like the old Clay. And 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 the Warriors are about to have the Splash Brothers back together. Um, I you know, if for a Warriors fan, you're stoked. For everyone else, I don't think you are. But uh, Clay Thompson again is—he's just so popular. It is a weird—he's a weird individual in the sense that even like someone like yourself who loves the Rockets and probably loathes Draymond Green, probably has a love-hate relationship with Stephen Curry, right? But Clay Thompson, just for some reason, he just doesn't bring out that hatred for that that so nearly every other player brings out for opposing teams' fan bases, and um, he looked good. I'm 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 very optimistic right now. You know, and as far as from, from what I was able to see there, you know, there were other games I was having to kind of monitor and tab back and forth between, you know, as the evening was going on, as well as the Rockets were playing. So I didn't get to watch him as in depth as closely as you did, which is why I'm deferring to you as the as the expert here, Cyrus. But 
I, I do know that obviously, and we had this discussion previously actually about, you know, what was going to happen when Clay came back, how, and you expressed maybe, you know, some, not necessarily concerns, but just, you know, you have a team that's gelling so well, the chemistry has been there all season, they're clicking on all cylinders. So yeah. the decision to, to start Clay Thompson, right? Despite how great Jordan Poole has been, despite the growth that you've seen out of Andrew Wiggins and the role that he's now playing for this Warriors team. Is that the right move, do you think, moving forward for, for Clay to be in there? Or, or would you have rather seen a different starting lineup? You know, what's your perspective on that? Um, I, I There's no doubt in my mind it was the right decision. Uh, Steve Kerr uh, made a great, uh, he brought up a great allegory. I forgot who the player was that he was making the metaphorical comparison to uh, from the 90s in terms of a superstar that was out for a long time. And in Steve Kerr's words, he just could not see any other position for Clay. Um, for his comeback other than being a starter. That was like the only thing he could see. Uh, they've been prepping Jordan Poole for the six-man role. He's actually been coming off the bench now for a couple weeks, um, and he seems to be used to it. Andre Iguodala made a comment recently that Jordan Poole is about to be a $20 million sixth man. Um, no, uh, the starting position is absolutely perfect for him. Um, and I, you know, it, and, and again, just from his performance tonight, it eliminated whatever doubts there might have been in terms of whether or not you want to ease him in more as opposed to being a starter. He looks perfect in that position. Um, uh, and, and now the only thing left, I actually uh, got a question in for Steve Kerr a couple days ago during his press conference. This is on Saturday, so I guess just a day ago, um, where Steve, where I asked Steve, I'm like, what about James Wiseman? Because um, I'm already looking forward to that because that's really the only player left that's going to uh, determine the full picture for this Warriors team. And um looks like James Wiseman is only a few weeks behind Clay and and he's going to be a starter. That was, that's the implication there. And um, Dub Nation is ecstatic. I mean, for a team that has lost two of their last three, there isn't a worry in the world right now. We're, we're on cloud nine and we're stoked. That's <laughs> Put the, put the rest of the league on watch. The Splash Brothers are back together, and the Warriors yep. are more dangerous than ever, and you're going to have us covered for all of that over at Locked on Warriors. Cyrus, thank you so much for stopping by Locked on NBA. Yeah, always a pleasure, Jackson. Anytime, man. Coming up, Luka Doncic is back on the floor for the Dallas Mavericks, and Dirk Nowitzki sees number 41 raised to the rafters of American Airlines Arena. But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar, because look, it's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your New Year's resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or gritty, or maybe the consistency is just a little bit off, right? Not the issue with Built Bars. They're so good. And the flavors, oh, they've got so many amazing flavors to choose from. Strawberry, cookies and cream, mint brownie, peanut butter, my personal favorite, coconut brownie chunk. You cannot go wrong with a single bar on their menu. And you can check them out. Just go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your very next order of the best tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, where we thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your next listen, go check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts. Listen to Locked On Now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or watch it on the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Wherever you get this podcast, you can get the Locked On Now podcast. 
Joining us now is Nick Angstad of Locked On Mavs, one half of Locked On Mavs, my 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 least favorite half of Locked On Mavs. No, <laughs> I'm kidding, Nick. I'm kidding. I got to poke a little Ooh. fun at you when I bring you on here. Also, Ooh. host of Locked On NBA. No, Nick, it's been a it's been a a very eventful week for the Dallas Mavericks. You get Luka Doncic back in the rotation. Dirk Dirk Nowitzki has his you know jersey retirement ceremony. We're gonna get to all that, but we got to start with Luka. Just I mean, what he's back with the team. How has he looked since his return? He looks the same. Looks like Luca, right? <laughs> looks, looks like big and in char- large and in charge. I guess is the way that I can put it. Uh, against the Bulls, has 20, 22, 14, and 14 on uh, like 34% shooting on that Sunday night game. And uh, he helps beat the Warriors. Like Luca just continues to be the player that uh, he is. And it's it's leading the Mavs to this this record that they're at right now. And it's leading them in this this winning streak. And uh, the Mavs defense has has now started to support the things that he's been doing all year. And so that's been incredible to watch. Watching a Mavs team without Luca for as long as we did, right? That like 13 game stretch or however long it was, 13 day stretch or whatever it was, was I do not want to do that again, Jackson. I don't. <laughs> okay, well, hopefully you won't have to do it again this season. Hopefully he's back and, and and no no more messiness with the Mavs lineup, knock on wood, all that good stuff. But you, you mentioned the defense. This Mavs defense has been absurd as of late. Over the last seven games, they've held six of their last seven opponents to under 100 points scored. Who was one of you the know, ones that they didn't help hold to 100? Ah, uh, yeah, we're not we're we're not going to talk about that team that's uh, sitting at the bottom of the Western Conference. I don't want to do that. Not on this podcast. Um, no, and it was again, it was largely in garbage time. So we're just not going to pretend it was a, it was a wire to wire. The pace blowout. of that we're game gonna, was real different. We're not going to talk about that 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 game or the hot dog from that night or any of the Ooh, any of the stuff. Yeah, you got to go go look at his Jackson's Twitter for that hot dog he ate. <laughs> Yeah, if you something. if you want to go see uh, a, a national headline story, the the hot dog that the Rockets unveiled at the Rockets Mavericks game this last Friday, that was a good one. Anyways, let's stop derailing <laughs> this Maverick centered segment. It's you Nick. and me. Oh. It's not going to not be derailed anytime you and I get together on a podcast. Oh man, this should be banned. Like I should just have to reach out to <laughs> it's Isaac. It's why please. I haven't put us together on Lockdown NBA ever. Like besides this, like I just I don't think that we would make it. We probably wouldn't, not for a full three (laughs) segments. At least we only have to do the one here. But on the defensive end, right, the Mavs are are winning, but they're doing it with defense. What what kind of growth have you seen on that side of the floor that's that's you know kind of changed the the you know the the I guess it's the entire approach for this team on that side. Yeah, it's been night and day. It's it's absolutely insane. At the beginning of the offseason, when Jason Kidd was hired, he comes in and does his introductory press conference and he goes up to the mic and says, you know, this year. We're going to play a little defense. And that that line just is one of those like earworms, right? Where it just sticks in your head and you just hear it over and over again. I can just hear Jason Kidd say, this year, we're going to play a little defense. And the beginning of the year, the Mavs were one of the worst defenses in the NBA. And so you're saying, where is this defense? Where are the Mavericks finding this defense? They haven't changed personnel that much from the last couple of years. And they've been in the bottom 10 of you know defensive teams over the last couple of years, they've been an incredible offensive team, but a terrible defense team. Then a little bit, a little way through the season, maybe like a month ago or so, Jason Kidd says, this team is not built for defense. This team is built for offense. And so you say, okay, well now Jason Kidd doesn't even believe that this team can play defense. And so now where do the Mavs stand? So over this last month or so, the Mavericks have started to communicate more. They've started to to talk more on defense. They've started to be, to play personnel that, that allows them to, play the kind of defense they have. It hasn't been as much like Luca, KP, uh, 
Tim Hardaway Jr. and Jalen Brunson. When you play all four of those guys together, your defense just you cannot hold up. And so Dorian, Maxi Kleba being back, Reggie Bullock being back, Josh Green starting to step into a role where he can actually be a viable player, Sterling Brown, all those guys are all real switchable wings. And having guys like that that are interconnected, that know when to rotate to the right spots, that are seemingly at this point in the year coached well, it has been a, a night and day difference from when the Mavericks started the season to where the Mavericks are right now. We're now, you know, basically nearing or right at about the halfway point of the season for most teams are kind of right at about that point. And obviously Dallas, like, you know, many other teams have dealt with, you know, lineup issues and some inconsistencies there. It's just kind of the the new NBA norm at this point, be it injuries, COVID protocols, all that stuff. But past all that, how would you rate the Jason Kidd experience so far for this Dallas Mavericks team? I mean, it's incomplete. Like, he's not even coaching right now. He's in health and safety protocols himself, right? Yeah. Mavericks have been, I think they're in the top five of teams that have, have lost the most games to health and safety protocols so far this year. And so, top, I said top five, like it's a stat you want to be high in, right? Like, no, they're bottom five, I guess. Bottom you, five, there you they've go. They've lost some of the most games to you know to COVID. Luca's there, KP's in there right now. And the Mavericks have only had Luca and KP together for 15 games this year. And so, we have not seen, we just haven't seen this team at full strength for long stretches of time. And so, I can't really, I, I can't really give Jason Kidd a definitive grade. I can say some things that have been good, have been positive. Uh, Jason Kidd, this has been a drop that I've been using so much on our show. This is a positive world. Jason Kidd is trying his his damnedest to be as positive as he possibly can at all points of this season because he knows what his reputation has been. He got asked about it all offseason. He got asked about it from us, about his exit from the Brooklyn Nets, his exit from the Bucks. Heck, his exit from da- the Dallas Mavericks as a player the first time. His exit from the Suns as a player. He's had all these different places where it just doesn't end up well for him. And he's had all these negative exp- you know, experiences. You, the book from Mirren Fader comes out over the offseason about you know Jason Kidd having his team run suicides to the point where Larry Sanders has to go to the hospital on Christmas. right? Like All these things you've been hearing about Jason Kidd, and he's trying to really turn the page and take a different, you know, a different look at it this season. And I think he's I think he's succeeded. He's empowered these players. We've had Tim Hardaway Jr. and Reggie Bullock without being prompted say, hey, Jason Kidd has coached us up well. He is he's putting us in a, a position to succeed. Um, Jason Kidd wasn't playing or wasn't uh, coaching against the Warriors the other against the uh, the Rockets the other night. And Tim Hardaway Jr. comes out and says this win was because of Jason Kidd. This win was because of what Jason Kidd has instilled in this team. Uh, Luka and KP don't play. The Mavericks still get a win against the young Rockets team. And he credited Jason Kidd, who wasn't even on the sidelines because he's out in health and safety protocols. So he's got the buy-in of this team is you know the roundabout way to say that. The team is buying in. The team is believing in what he's saying. They're, they're picking up what he's putting down, basically. And uh, it's working right now. Jalen Brunson has been incredibly impactful for this Mavericks team, but you know, he started the season coming off the bench. He's stepped into a starter's role. Do you think that's the role that he's going to occupy for the rest of the season? Where's your head at as to whether or not you'd like to see him maybe go back to that role as like the scoring punch off the bench, or do you want to see him get those starters reps alongside Luca and the other guys? Coming into the season and going into last offseason, we said, all right, the Mavericks have to find a secondary creator, secondary shot creator, secondary playmaker next to Luca. Brunson has stepped up into that role for what the Mavericks have right now. It, it's it'd be interesting if the Mavericks could upgrade that spot right now at the trade deadline. I don't know if there's many players like available right now that would upgrade that position. So I think Brunson has become a starter. He stepped in and there have been many times this year where he's their second best player. And I think maybe at this point in the year, we're at that with, with KP's availability counted and all that. And so he's been absolutely incredible. The problem is, 
Can you play the level of defense that the Mavericks have played over this stretch with Luka, you know, KP, and Jalen Brunson all playing at the same time? You can't do it with Tim Hardaway and those three guys all at the same time. But can you get away with it with those three guys? That'll be an interesting thing to see. We just haven't seen it very much. Wednesday night, the Mavs retired Dirk Nowitzki's number 41, mm. raising it to the rafters. Look, a player that regardless of fandom, yes, as Nick points, if you're watching on YouTube, Nick points to the jersey in the background. Oh, he breaks it out. Oh, look at this. Look at this. The brand what new one treat. that they just dropped recently. Loving it. I love it. You know, regardless of fandom or team affiliation, right, you have to appreciate the impact that Dirk has had on the game of basketball. Nick, you were in the building for that Jersey retirement. What was that night like? It was incredible. As a person that, uh, you know, grew up as a a person of of German heritage that grew up and watched this guy play and watched him do the things that he did and step up and and, uh, win that title in 2011. And to do it all while still being the same person that he is and the same, um, you know, goofball, but also just incredibly um, generous with his time and resources and, and just a, an incredible teammate. No one ever has a bad thing to say about Dirk except for himself, right? Like if that if that's the case, then you're an incredible person. And so I thought that the um, Jersey retirement reflected that. It reflected all of what, you know, Dirk has done for this, this franchise. You had Steve Nash on the, um, on the the video tribute saying, you know, they get, they named a street after him outside of the American Airlines Center. They put the silhouette on the court and it's still there every single game. And now the jersey retirement, it's just it's just a little bit too much. That's <laughs> what Steve Nash said. And uh, yeah, maybe it's getting to the point that, but he deserves all of it, right? He deserves every single thing. I'm not sure that there's a jersey retirement that means as much to a franchise as Dirk's for the Mavericks. You can maybe talk me into Michael Jordan <laughs> for the Bulls. <laughs> But even still, like Dirk means so much of this franchise because of what they had before Dirk, which was not a lot, and now what they've they've been able to uh, achieve and to um, what Dirk has been able to bring to this city and this franchise. You know, and you, you highlighted this. There was a moment during that retirement ceremony where he was, you know, with Luca, I believe, and he kind of pointed up to the rafters talking to Luca. And you know, what was your interpretation of that moment? Yeah, so after afterwards, you know, there's a big mob on the court where they're hugging and you're know, getting pictures. And during the during the ceremony, so they have you know the orchestra on one side of the court and all these chairs, and then you have this line of chairs, which was basically a 2011 Mavs reunion. And then Luca and Adam Silver and, and or no Dirk and Adam Silver and, and Mark Cuban and Dirk's family and all that were on the other side. And then all the Mavs players were just kind of in chairs somewhere around where the Mavs bench is. And so they're just all hanging out there the entire time. Sterling Brown's going live on IG like the entire time. So I'm sitting there watching him. You got other guys. Marquise Chris is going live on IG. And uh, and so I'm just sitting there. And as soon as it ends, Dirk has to go through this processional of all these guys that he's shaking hands with and people that are asking to take pictures with him. This custodian, Brian Cardinal, is walking up, taking a selfie with him. And then I'm waiting. I'm waiting around. And I waited for probably a good 25 minutes. For Luca and Dirk to embrace. And they did. And I just I whipped out my binoculars from where I was. And I was just like, I just need to see what these guys are going to do. And they hugged. And then Dirk kind of just a little, just a little point pointed up to the rafters and pointed up and, and then pointed to Luca. And you just, you just get the sense that Dirk passed the torch as best he could to Luca for this franchise. And I hope that Luca picks up that mantle and picks up that torch and runs with it in the way that Dirk did. I don't know if anybody can replicate what Dirk did. But I'm I'm hoping that that Luca takes that responsibility of what Dirk had for this franchise. It's like, all right, this is my franchise. I own this. I'm gonna own this moment. I'm gonna own what happens to this franchise. And I hope Luca does the same. 
a big moment from one all-time great to another future, likely, all-time great in Luka Doncic. Nick, appreciate you stopping by. You're going to have us covered for everything Mavericks over at Locked on Mavericks. Thanks for stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Anytime. Coming up, Josh Giddy is now the youngest NBA player in history to record a triple-double. Just how good has Josh Giddy been for the Thunder this season? We're going to get there after a quick message from our friends over at betonline.ag. As BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today using promo code Locked On to get a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. Thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. Now, for your second listen, go check out Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Make a little bit of money with Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q, with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. Joining us now is Ryland Styles of Locked On Thunder. Ryland, Josh Giddy became the youngest player in NBA history to ever record a triple-double. He has bumped LaMelo Ball out of the out of that placeholder position, and subsequently he actually bumps LeBron James out of being in the top five youngest players to ever record a triple-double. He had 17, 13, 14, four steals last week. He, look, I'm going to be completely honest with you right now. I thought Giddy was a bit of a reach in this past year's draft, and I'm, I'm not alone in that assumption. But in your eyes, has he been worse as good or even better than you expected coming into this season I, I think that everyone's answer would be even better and if it wasn't you're probably lying to yourself and trying to make yourself sound better than you were because i think that everybody at the time thought that this was an amazing reach because you know with all the draft picks the thunder had you thought maybe they could trade up from six and then you had kaminga fall down to six who was a consensus top five pick in the draft class the entire way until the month of the draft and then he fell a bit in those big boards and then you wind up with Josh Giddy. Then you find out more about how they had a private workout in Vegas and how the Warriors would have taken him at seven. And then it kind of made more sense along the way. But the ability to impact this game right away and to and to play at the level he's playing at right now is very surprising. And he looks like a solidified blue chip prospect. And he, and he looks like the second best player on this team right now. And so to already have that happen for him at 19 years old, turn 19 in October, uh, and be the guy that gets these triple doubles that he got last week and a double-double without even scoring, just showing his impact uh, that he has on the floor, even where he can't get it going offensively in the sense of points. He can go out there and get rebounds and assists, and uh, he's an elite inbounder randomly. It's pretty interesting to watch him inbound the ball. Uh, I think that watching him impact the game and also seeing his upside in other areas, you have to be uh, just floored with how, how well it's turned out and how well it's panned out. And you look at the draft, who was picked behind him that you would have rather had right now? As, as with the data that we have right now in the NBA, I think that Josh Giddy uh, was the pick there, and Sam Presti got it right. Even at the time, I said, "Hey, he better get this right," because I did not, I did not necessarily agree with it at the time. But uh, Sam Presti was right again. You know, 
every time you know when, when he's just he's got so many insane passes that you watch and also i, I will shout out ryan i think it's funny you go from uh the triple double king in russell westbrook to another player who may be flirting with quite a few triple doubles over the course of his career uh as it progresses on but some of the passes that Josh Giddy throws, I mean, just the degree of difficulty on them, how wild they are. It, they, he's got some jaw-dropping passes. And I, I want to know from your perspective, like what is the craziest pass you've seen him throw so far this season? He's gotten off this random behind-the-back pass, like at the around the elbow area to the opposite low block for a dunk, which I would just in awe with. I think that that was probably one of his better passes that he's had this season. Uh, and the... Interesting part about Giddy is that he doesn't always need to make those fancy passes. Like he has a ton of them. You can already go watch a 10, 12 minute highlight film from just his NBA clips of him making fancy passes. And we are not even in February yet, but uh, he's not a player that lets that kind of limit his game. Some players, whenever they have that ability to make fancy passes, they always hunt the highlight pass. Josh Giddy can also make the basic pass. And so it, it helps him limit his turnovers a bit. Even as a rookie with a high usage rate, he started every game of, of his NBA career. Uh, and, and he only turns the ball over about three times per game, which for a rookie is, is not bad at all, especially whenever he's going to be the second creator and second lead ball handler. And he's played games without SGA where he is the number one and only source uh, of offensive production in the sense of facilitating and playmaking. Uh, I think that with, S with Josh Giddy and SGA's pairing together, the future is pretty bright in Oklahoma City, and we'll see how it all pans out long term. What's the biggest area of weakness right now that you can identify for Giddy that he needs to work on as we kind of, you know, progress and move into now, you know, about basically like the back half of the, of the remaining part of this NBA season? I, I think it's the shooting for sure. Uh, you know, you look at his three-point percentage right now, he's shooting about 26% from beyond the arc, about 35% in the corner. With his playmaking ability, and he has an incredible floater that he can get to, and off of that comes playmaking as well for other players. If he can force a defense to respect his three-point shot, and to play him up close, he has that switch of the gear with the speed with the ball where he can get by defenders and he can get to the rim and from the rim make those uh, cut, cuts, uh, you know, passes the backdoor cuts and find open players around the rim or drive and kick like SGA does. If he can just make you respect his three where you have to pick him up earlier and pick him up sooner, he can really take off and be a transcendent talent offensively. Surprisingly, his defense has not been bad. Like he's been all right defensively, and you can tell that his size helps that a bit. And this Thunder organization's done a good job of breeding defensive players. So you would imagine that they'll continue that checker with, with Josh Giddy. But as far as the shooting goes, Josh Giddy's already said, hey, this offseason, he's got to change his shot. Mike Wilkes has been working with him to change his shot. Everyone in the organization knows this offseason will be a time where they rework his mechanics a bit. You can't really do that in season. And Giddy's talked about that as well. So if he can have that happen this offseason or next offseason, then the sky is the limit for what he can bring offensively off of that jump shot. SGA, you mentioned him briefly a moment ago, just talking about, you know, he, this is the, that's the lead dog for this Thunder team, right? Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he's having another, you know, solid year, although I will say that the, the efficiency numbers have waned a little bit compared to last season. But is there, Rylan, a worry at all in your mind that SGA may not, you know, does have the desire to stay long-term throughout this Thunder rebuild, given the fact that he's had kind of a taste of some of that success, the playoffs, you know, much earlier in his career. Obviously, that first stint with the Clippers, then the, you know, Chris Paul-led Thunder team, you know, the, the first campaign there. Is, is that a concern at all, or is it kind of premature to be worried about that at this point? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the fact that the NBA has a ton of drama. And so in my opinion, you don't need to go looking for NBA drama. It'll find you. And as of right now, Sam Presti, Mark Dagnott and SGA have also the correct things that he is he is beautifully aligned. It's been the 
has been the buzzword for the organization. Mark said it. Sam said it. SGA said it. They are beautifully aligned with each other's plans for this organization long-term. He signed that max deal that had zero opt-outs as well this offseason. It sounds like SGA will give this organization a chance to show that they're truly building something special here and that they can get this off the ground sooner than later. I think that in this world of player empowerment and player movement, you can never be too comfortable. But as of right now, there is no reason to believe that SGA wants out of Oklahoma City. Uh, the organization has been incredibly transparent with him and that he knows every step they're going to make and he knows why they're making the decisions that they make. And so it seems like right now everything's okay in Oklahoma City. And if they can hit on this next draft and they can cash in some draft picks for a big trade, then everything will continue to be solid, you know, solid footing for SGA and the Thunder organization. So it looks good right now. Cash in draft picks. That sounds very anti Sam Presti. No, I, I kid, I kid. But um, the next guy that I want to ask you about really quick is uh, Alexi Pokashevsky. He he was a guy that I felt like had a lot of hype surrounding him, a lot of buzz, especially from Thunder fans. And, you know, it feels like he's seemed to have regressed a bit this year. Like he, you know, was starting last season, not starting this year. The numbers are down across the board. W what's going on with Poku? What's going on with Poku is that the Thunder are no longer just in this mode of, hey, let's throw these 18-year-olds out there and not care. Because like last year, it was, they just didn't have any other options. They just didn't have anything else to do, especially as you trade George Hill and you shut down Al Horford and then SGA gets hurt for the last half of the year. They had nowhere else to turn. And so this year, they're able to take Poku and make him play NBA basketball. Last year, you just had to put him on the floor. There was no other option. But you can see that they're really slow playing him. And so the lack of minutes, the lack of opportunity has stunted his stats growth. But watching him play every night, he has been growing as a player, even though it's not showing up on the box score, on basketball reference, or, or even on the highlights, because he's no longer doing those wacky Poku things and, and being on shacking a full every single night. He is having to play a more balanced and mature style of basketball, and it's not fun. It's not as fun as last year, right? These seven minutes of him just being disciplined and doing the right thing aren't as wacky as a seven-footer last year looking like he, looking like Bambi just was being born and on the floor and waddling around and not really knowing what to do. Uh, this year, it's more contained and more you know kind of uh, measured approach to his game than last year, but he has been getting better. It's just in a limited sample size, and they're not – just throwing him minutes anymore they're they're making sure his minutes count and being meticulous with when they use him and not just kind of letting him make mistakes and, and learn from those mistakes he is having to play a more disciplined style of basketball and it it creates less twitter hype but it creates more actual tangible uh, basketball kind of success and improvement Sam Presti's name already popped up once here in our little discussion Rylan but how we're you know about a month away from the NBA trade deadline how active are you expecting the Thunder to be at this year's trade deadline? I think that the Thunder will be as active as the rest of the NBA is. And so I think that the NBA will dictate how active OKC is. They, they already made a move to clear up a roster spot. And what they're going to do is utilize that extra roster spot to take on bad contracts in a two-for-one deal. And so they have all their draft picks that they want. They're operating about $23 million under the salary cap floor. They're, they want to take on all of your bad contracts. They want to eat all that money and in turn get more assets, whether that be a draft pick whether that be a flyer on a young player, they're going to be in facilitation mode more so than acquisition mode or selling off mode. Their only real options to sell are Muscala and, and Kendrick Williams. While they're two really good players and two veterans that every contending team should want, uh, that's not really going to be the headline news around the NBA if they get traded. So really where the Thunder can make a big impact is helping you get a star somewhere else by taking on bad money because they're so far under the floor and in the process getting a nice first round pick or a couple quality second round picks, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter what it is because they have the money to do it. So they can just take on bad deals and get something in return.
So likely a third team facilitator helping to kind of grease the wheels probably for two other teams really looking to make a splash at the deadline, right? Yeah, I would be surprised if like a Ben Simmons trade happens and the Thunder aren't involved because they're one of the only places that will just willingly take on terrible money because that's just how they're going to utilize this cap space. Smart plays, as always, by Sam Presti. And as always, Ryland, you will have us covered for all of that over at Locked on Thunder. Appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, check out the new Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe on the videos. We would sincerely appreciate it. But for today's episode, that is going to do it. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.